everybody. This is Ellen Weatherford. And Christian Weatherford. And this is Just the Zoo of Us, your favorite animal review podcast. And the music you just heard was our brand new theme song by none other than Louis Zong, Just for Us. It's so good. It's such a bop. It's so good. We're so happy to have it. We couldn't be more thrilled with it. We think it's perfect. It's been the theme song of our household for some time now. I've listened to it about 800 times. <laughs> I'm obsessed. <laughs> So I hope that y'all like it too. We are here to review animals. We rate them out of 10 in the categories of effectiveness, ingenuity, and aesthetics. We are not zoological experts. We do a lot of research and try our best to make sure we're presenting information from trustworthy resources. So normally, right about here, we jump right into the episode. Mm -hmm. We get straight into the animal facts. We have a couple of stuff to talk about before we do that today. Big news. If you didn't listen to the announcement that we put out just a couple of days ago, we are now on the Maximum Fun Network. We did it, y'all. We did it. We made it. (laughs) (laughs) So if you haven't heard that announcement, go back and check it out if you want a little more information. It's less than two minutes. So, uh, you know, if you're interested in hearing a little bit more about that, go back and check that out. The timing of our launch on the network is really perfect because Maximum Fun is currently throwing a virtual block party event. This is ongoing until October 22nd. The block party basically means that all of the Maximum Fun shows are releasing really fun special episodes to welcome in new audiences. And we are participating. So keep an eye out for an upcoming bonus episode as a treat to you listeners and as a way to say hello to our new Max Fun family. If this is your first time ever hearing about Maximum Fun, this is a great opportunity to give some of their other shows a try and find a new podcast to fall in love with. So you can hear more about this exciting stuff over at MaximumFun.org slash block party. It's really exciting. There's some cool stuff that we're part of. It sure is. You know what we should do? What? I was just thinking that since this is our first episode on the Maximum Fun Network, and there may be one or two brand new listeners Mm -hmm. who might be listening for the first time, we should just really quickly introduce ourselves. Okay. My name's Ellen. I am Christian's wife. Someone told me recently that they listened to like a bunch of episodes and then realized that we were married, like way far into it. Did we start before we got married? No, we started uh, like a couple months after we got married. We have... A baby. I have an older son. We have a cat. We have a dog. We live in Jacksonville, Florida. Lots of people aren't familiar with where or what Jacksonville, Florida is. It's <laughs> Northeast Florida, right up there in the corner, mm-hmm. very close to Georgia. And my name's Christian Weatherford. A lot of the same info. <laughs> <laughs> Husband, father. What are you like into, Christian? What's your like passions and hobbies? Nowadays, you know, with baby responsibilities and such, mm-hmm. it's video games because that's kind of the easiest thing to dip into <laughs> and out of as I find myself available. Now, you should clarify that is not a new it's not. hobby for you. It's not. It's a lifelong hobby mostly, <laughs> <laughs> but that's the one that has survived recent changes. Sure. Other ones that I do off and on include music, a couple instruments every now and then. <laughs> Just busted out the trombone again the other day for the first time in a while. I did. Um, but yeah, movies, cartoons. Cooking. Oh, yeah. You're an excellent cook. I like to eat, so <laughs> by extension, like to cook. And I'm very lucky for that. Usually. I 
also like video games and a lot of the same stuff as Christian. Mm -hmm. That's why we get along so good because we like a lot of the same stuff. Um, So as you're listening along, uh, if you've never listened to us before, you'll probably pick up on a couple of little references that we make here and there to video games that we like and the occasional anime reference will sneak in there. Just all sorts of little general geeky, nerdy things that we're into that bleed into the podcast every once in a while. So if that's up your alley, you're right at home. Mm-hmm. Welcome to the family. <laughs> <laughs> so that's who we are. I hope that y'all enjoy our podcast. Yeah. All right, Ellen. What animal do you bring us this week? This week. Do you know what it is? Like, do you not, know what, what animal right I'm talking right now, about? I don't. Okay, well, this is going to be fun, because I'm going to see if, just based on the name, you'll know what it is. Okay. This is the Amazon Molly. Scientific name, Poselia Formosa. Ooh. What do you think this is? Give me like a general category of animal. I was going to think maybe a bird. Nope. No? Okay. No, this is a fish. Ah. This species was submitted by Liv Schaup, and this is a very special request. This is the first time anyone's ever done this on this podcast. This was requested on behalf of a friend. Liv Schaup requested this on behalf of friend Michael Stoller in honor of his birthday. Yeah, happy birthday, Michael. Your birthday was a couple of days ago. We didn't quite make it exactly on the day of your birthday. I'm sorry. Happy belated birthday, Michael. Yes, happy belated birthday. I'm getting my information about the Amazon Molly from fishesoftexas.org, which is maintained by the University of Texas at Austin. You're making a face at me. I'm getting to it. (laughs) Okay. And an article on Amazon Molly's in Current Biology from July 17th, 2007 by Ingo Schlupp, Rudiger Reich, and Michael Tobler. And there's also other stuff that I'll cite as it comes up. Sure. Okay. So this is a fish. It's not a big fish. Maxes out around three and a half inches or nine centimeters for our metric listeners. Okay, featherweight, got it. It's a little, little dude. They're native to freshwater rivers and streams in the northern Mexico and southern Texas area. Okay. Their taxonomic genus is called Pocilia. This is the molly family. There's lots of different types of mollies, not just the Amazon molly. Hmm. There are 40 species in the molly family. In fact, the Amazon molly originated as a hybrid between two other types of mollies, Hmm. the sailfin and the shortfin molly, also called the Atlantic molly. So this entire species of fish is thought to all be traced back to one hybrid fish. Wow. Yes. One instance of hybridization between these two fish led to this whole species. And you might be thinking, how did one fish become many fish if there were no other fish of that species? And I'm going to get to that. Just hold on to that question. It's an important (laughs) one. Also in the same family as mollies is the popular freshwater guppy. Oh, okay. Yeah, guppy is in there. So guppies and also some species of mollies are really popular personal aquarium fish. Mm -hmm. Since they're freshwater, they're really small, they don't get that big, and they're also pretty hardy. They're pretty easy to keep. Okay. Um, Checks all the boxes. Yeah, for sure. I actually, I worked at a pet store for a long time and we sold mollies there. Mm -hmm. So pretty much anybody who's like really familiar with keeping freshwater fish, you're probably familiar with mollies. I guess my earlier guess of it being a bird shows my lack of familiarity with pet fish. That's not surprising. (laughs) I don't think you've ever had pet fish, have you? Not since I was a very young child. (laughs) (laughs) Well, and I only know because I sold them at the store, right? So I was already kind of familiar with what mollies are. And anybody who's probably had freshwater fish is probably already like, yeah, I I know about mollies. 
Their name Amazon does not refer to the river. (laughs) So you would assume that a fish named Amazon would be so named because it comes from the Amazon River. Sure. But it doesn't. Instead, they were named after the Amazon warriors. Oh. The Amazons were described in Greek mythology as a society comprised entirely of women who were fierce fighters, very warfaring Mm -hmm. um, group of women who interacted with men solely for reproductive purposes and only raised their daughters. This is important. (laughs) Okay. This is relevant to the Amazon Molly. It's of particular importance. So that's some background knowledge on the Amazon Molly. It's not a flashy looking fish. It's very just a little silver fish, not a ton to look at. So at first glance, the fish doesn't look particularly interesting, but there's a lot going on under the hood Mm -hmm. of this fish. So let's get into our ratings for this fish. If this is your first time listening to this podcast, we rate animals out of 10 in three categories, the first of which is effectiveness. Effectiveness is physical adaptations to the animal's body to let it do a good job of the things it's trying to do. So I am going to give the Amazon Molly an 8 out of 10. Okay. There's something really fascinating going on with this really otherwise unassuming little fish. Mm -hmm. And that is that every single one is female. Oh. Every single one of the entire species is female. Okay. So, all right. That goes back (laughs) to your earlier point then. Yes. Okay. Which one? Uh, So the question about how did one hybridized Mm -hmm. fish result in a whole species? Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay. So you may be thinking, how... Is this possible? An animal that doesn't produce sperm cells cannot fertilize an egg cell. Mm -hmm. And that's where a beautiful little marvel of nature called parthenogenesis comes in. Okay. You heard this word parthenogenesis. Yes. It happens in some animals that don't usually do that. (laughs) Yeah. It it can happen in animals that don't normally do that, but there are some animals that it's just become their thing that they do. Okay. That's cool. I didn't realize there were animals that solely did that. There are. Yeah. So this is one of them. It's an animal that only reproduces this way. So most animals make more of themselves by combining gametes. Mm -hmm. You heard the word gamete before. Many moons ago. Oh, yeah. We're throwing it back. This is going back to high school bio days. So gametes are reproductive cells. So sperm and egg cells, pollen, those are all gametes. Mm -hmm. Gametes are usually made by a cell division process called meiosis. Is this word ringing bells? It is. For you? Okay. So meiosis is basically a process where the chromosomes are kind of shuffled and then split up. When a cell splits by meiosis, the resulting gamete has half of the information that it needs. Mm-hmm. So it has to combine with a gamete from another parent to make a new organism because it only has half the information. It has to get the other half from somewhere else. Okay. However, in some animals, very, very few, their gametes might not divide by meiosis, which is that shuffle and split method. Instead, they divide by mitosis, which is more of a copy and paste. So all of the chromosomes are replicated, but instead of being shuffled up and split, mm-hmm. they just are made into two new completely identical cells. So when that happens, when the resulting gamete has two sets of chromosomes, that's everything you need to make a new organism. That's it. You got everything you need right there. You don't need to combine with the gametes from another parent. You've already got it. 
right? Mm. Now, what's interesting about that is that since that DNA isn't shuffled by the meiosis process, the resulting gametes are genetically identical to the parent cell. And then the offspring will be a clone of the parent because it's not getting any genetic information from another parent. Okay. So this is probably why they think it all came from a single fish. So like one out of a weird fluke (laughs) (laughs) divided by mitosis instead of meiosis, which left it with like, Oh, I guess I have everything I need to just make new babies now. And then just made clones of itself forever. (laughs) So every fish of this species today is genetically identical. Yes. Huh. Your clones are very impressive. You must be very proud. Could you imagine the person that was studying <laughs> those genetics? <laughs> and they're like, wait, why is this the same? Wait, did I get something mixed up? <laughs> How many times do they have to go over that again to make sure they're seeing the right thing? Like making sure that it wasn't just like their tools that were stuck or something like that? Like, <laughs> this, is, this is so weird. So there are some interesting pros and cons to parthenogenesis. One benefit is the conservation of energy. There's no need to bother finding a mate. True. Right? You've got everything you need. Don't need to worry about going off and finding somebody to reproduce with. You're perfectly capable of reproducing all on your own. Another benefit is numbers. Mm -hmm. So if it only takes one of you to make more, that means 100% of your population is capable of reproducing rather than only 50. So you're going to get a lot more of you. (laughs) (laughs) But there are drawbacks. It's not all good. One drawback is vulnerability. So if your entire population consists of clones that are all genetically similar, your population is going to be really vulnerable to things like diseases and parasites. The idea is that the little mutations here and there that result from like genetic shuffling from two parents means that if a disease starts to spread in your population, some of you may have a genetic resistance to it Mm -hmm. and survive to pass on that resistance to your offspring. And then you'll eventually have a population that's more resistant to that disease. That's not happening if you're all cloning yourselves, right? Right. If all of you are equally likely to die from that disease, you're just going to get wiped out, right? If none of you have any resistance to it. Also, if your population's not changing over time and you're just making the same thing over and over again, you can't adapt, right? If something changes in your environment, you're not going to have those little mutations that might give you an advantage. Yeah, I was going to say, what does this mean at the scale of evolution? Usually, animals that reproduce this way don't last very long. The species usually goes extinct pretty quickly. Consistent cloning over many generations also often decays a genome, so it gets Mm. weaker and weaker and weaker, and eventually the species just kind of collapses. But it's really interesting because Amazon mollies don't seem to be suffering from any of these drawbacks. Just something about the molly is just surprisingly stable Hmm. for a clone population. They just seem really particularly hardy. So it's really interesting for scientists because they're just really digging into this fish to being like, why isn't it falling to these sort of pitfalls of parthenogenesis that you usually see in other animals? Interesting. Very interesting, right? Hmm. So this is not the 
only animal or even the only vertebrate that reproduces this way. Like you mentioned, lots of animals can do this. Some of them may only do it if they really need to. Mm -hmm. So an example is a Komodo dragon. Komodo dragons can do it if they need to. You'll hear every once in a while news stories from like reptiles kept in captivity where they'll, it, it will have been decades since they were last housed with any other animal. And then suddenly they have a baby. Right. Right. And then there's this sort of like, oh, what happened here? Was this like a spontaneous thing? But yeah, some, a lot of animals can do that. Hammerhead sharks can do this if they need to. But some of them are actually now entirely female species that like the Amazon molly but also like the New Mexico whiptail lizard. Hmm. That lizard is a completely female species now. Interesting. Right? It's just like over time, they just ended up being like, oh, we can all make our own babies. <laughs> we hmm. don't need a male of our species anymore. Hmm. So I find parthenogenesis really, really interesting. It gets a little more complicated in that the Amazon molly actually <laughs> does need to mate to reproduce, but the sperm doesn't contribute any DNA to the egg. It basically just acts as a little signal to the egg that's like, hey, time to grow. (laughs) Time to develop into a baby. Rarely, like a little DNA fragment from the sperm will get to the egg, Mm -hmm. but it really doesn't have any sort of major like contribution to the offspring. But it does help scientists be able to tell like what population Amalia is from is if it has like a little fragment from, you know, some instance that had occurred way up the lineage. Hmm. Yeah. So if all of the Amazon mollies are all female, who are they mating with to get this sperm from? Probably some closely related fish. It's the two that they were hybridized oh, from. Yeah, okay. <laughs> so they have to mate with a male of one of their two like Uh-oh. ancestral parental species. So that's an interesting dependency. It <laughs> is. Between those species. Yeah. This is called sexual parasitism. Wow. Yeah. So the female... It's redundant to say the female Amazon molly, but the Amazon molly has to basically trick a male of one of the other mollies to mate with her. It does seem like the male mollies might know that she's an Amazon molly and they might be doing it anyway. Hmm. And it seems to be that maybe when he mates with an Amazon molly, it makes him look more attractive to other females of his own species. Mm. Yeah. So he's maybe trying to prove that he's got mad game, (laughs) right? Like he's trying to flex a little bit for the ladies. Okay. Yeah. To buff himself up a little bit. Cause it seems like he does kind of look better to the other females. So now the Amazon reference is making more sense. Yes, because she will mate with a male to to reproduce, but then that's it, right? She says bye. Hmm. And then she does also only raise daughters, but that's because she only has daughters. In Greek mythology, Amazons would dispose of their male children. Huh. So so this species has two potential ticking time bombs for them. (laughs) One is the problems with cloning, and the Mm -hmm. other is if those other species go extinct for whatever reason... They will also follow shortly. Yeah, they are kind of, you know, dependent on these other species. I will say they none of them seem to be particularly at risk of that happening. Sure. They're pretty tough little guys. Like they're hardy fish. They're surprisingly resistant to things like pollution or like declining water quality. They do pretty well. Like it takes a lot to do damage to this fish's population. Hmm. Which is kind of like why I gave them such a good effectiveness score, because They can take a lot. They can take a lot of, like, environmental abuse, I guess. 
I will say that I did take off two points. And I did that because otherwise they have no like defense mechanisms, you know, like they're just little, they're popcorn (laughs) in the river, right? Like they got nothing really that they can use. You know, you'd like to see a spike or a poison or something, you know, I just would like a little, a little more pizzazz from the fish. I mean, they put all the points in maximizing output of reproduction. Yeah. It really seemed like they just invested in just the, the copy and paste spam. (laughs) You can't kill all of us. (laughs) Which is a valid strategy. I'll say, you know, I just would have liked it. Like if there's gonna be a billion clones of you, I would have liked it if it was just a little flashier, (laughs) a little something, like give me something, give me a horn on the front of your face or something. (laughs) But yeah. So that's why I took off two points for effectiveness. Got it. But anyway, a population of clonal fish. Isn't that cool? It is. Uh, Next category for this fish is ingenuity. This is behavioral adaptations that let an animal do a good job of not getting dead or otherwise thriving behaviorally. I'm giving them a four out of 10 for ingenuity. Okay. In my personal experience working with mollies, I did not find them to have a single thought behind those sweet little eyes. <laughs> Nothing going on. Just no thoughts, head empty, pure vibes. Um, of course, if anyone out there has evidence to the contrary, please feel free to contact me. My opinions are easily swayed. I'm just saying I worked with them for a few years. Never really witnessed any clever behavior, I must say. Not particularly bright little dudes. Sure. Though I did have some interesting information to bring about their behavior. So this information is from an article from UC Davis's College of Biological Sciences titled Attack of the Clones, Investigating the Non-Genetic <laughs> Origins of Behavior with new faculty Kate Laskowski. And this article was by David Slifer in November of 2019. So this is actually pretty fresh. And in this article, they talked about how Amazon mollies, like other mollies, give birth to live offspring rather than laying eggs. The babies just kind of spurt out. I've seen it happen. It's kind of, it's not super cute. They don't provide any care for the baby fish. They just kind of like squirt them out and like wish them the best and peace out. Mm -hmm. Now, since all of the babies are exact clones of each other, copy and paste the same exact fish and they're not being raised by the mother. So the mother's not like introducing any sort of like behavioral variation. One might expect the exact same behavior from all of the babies. Sure. Because they're supposedly all exactly the same and have not been nurtured in any particular way. Mm -hmm. You might expect to see the same levels of activity, the same foraging patterns, stuff like that. But instead there actually is a good bit of variation in their behavior. So some of them might act really differently from their sisters, even though they're completely the same. Hmm. So that really introduces this question of how much of this behavior is nature and how much of it is nurture, right? Like how much of it is pre-programmed into it and how much is just introduced by the environment. So um, since Amazon mollies are pretty easy to care for and they're also easy to make more of, and they're all exactly the same. They're prime research subjects. Oh. Yeah. So you'll see a <laughs> lot of papers using Amazon mollies as test subjects because every single one's the same. You know, you pretty much know what you're going to get. 
fewer variables to account for. Right. Yeah. So very popular research experiment subjects. Yeah. So it was not super challenging to find information about the Amazon Molly. Well, that's good. (laughs) Final category for this fish is aesthetics. I'm just going to give them a five. Just a five out of ten. Middle of the road. Uh, That's really, and I say if you looked up the term okay in the dictionary, it would be a picture (laughs) of this fish. Like, it's it's just fine. It's not ugly, but it's not particularly cute. You know, it's just, it's a pointy nosed little silver fish. It has kind of these light brown spots on its sides, transparent fins. I'm, the best thing I can say about it is that it's shimmery and like in the right light, it can reflect colorful hmm. colors. But like, that's the best I can say about it. So, mollies that are kept as pets can be really beautiful. Mm-hmm. And some of them have these really different color variations. So, there's one really popular one called Dalmatian mollies. It's exactly what it sounds like. They're white and have black spots, which is really cute. There's also lyre tail mollies, which have these like long trailing ribbon tails. Mm. And they can also come in really pretty colors. Those can be like really beautiful, bright, fiery looking spots, gorgeous fish. The Amazon Molly is more function than form, though. <laughs> it's it's honestly, it's not much to look at. It's one of those ones that's like, if you just saw it swimming around the river, you probably wouldn't think twice about it. But knowing all of the background knowledge about like, you know, this is a clone that's been cloning itself for 250,000 years, you know, that's very impressive. So yeah, it just gives you a deeper appreciation for an otherwise pretty subtle little fish. Yeah. Very interesting. That's the Amazon Molly. Well, thanks, hon. Thank you. Hi there. Before our next animal, we are going to take a quick break to share with y'all just a couple of quick promos from some of the other shows on Maximum Fun. But before we do that, I would like to extend a thank you to our patrons over on Patreon. Y'all have kept us going strong and we dearly appreciate you. This week, I would like to shout out Jacob Schick, Bren Everfolly, Sarah Peterson, Sophie Ann, Vikram Balika, April Kamik, Dalton Weeks, Julie Gilson, Christina Sanders, Paul Chomo, Randall Beeman, and the Mad Scientist Podcast. Thank you all for your support. We'll be right back to the rest of the episode right after this. I'm Lisa Hannawalt. And I'm Emily Heller. Nine years ago, we started a podcast to try and learn something new every episode. Things have gone a little off the rails since then. (laughs) Tune in to hear about low stakes neighborhood drama, gardening, the sordid, nasty underbelly of the horse girl lifestyle, hot sauce, (laughs) addiction to TV and sweaty takes on celebrity culture, and the weirdest, grossest stuff you can find on wikipedia.org. We'll read all of it no matter how gross. (laughs) There's something for everyone on our podcast, Baby Geniuses, hosted by us, two horny adult idiots. Hang out with us as we try and fail to retain any knowledge at all. Every other week on Maximum Fun. A man goes to the doctor and says that he's depressed and that life seems cruel. The doctor says, ah, the treatment is simple. The great clown Pagliacci is in town tonight. Go and see him and you will surely feel better. The man bursts into tears and says, But doctor, I am Pagliacci. Ah, okay, says the doctor. In which case, try listening to the Beef and Dairy Network podcast. The Beef and Dairy Network podcast is a multi-award-winning comedy podcast, and you can find it at MaximumFun.org or wherever you get your podcasts. All right, Christian, it is your turn. What animal do you have for us today? 
The species I bring this week is the aardvark. Finally. Right? Scientific name, Arictoropus afer. I say finally because it has been featured prominently front and center on our podcast cover art yes. since 2019. <laughs> I'm pulling my information from Animal Diversity Web at animaldiversity.org. It's a great source. Love them. So let's talk about the basics of this animal. What is an aardvark, Christian? What is an aardvark? Because I think a lot of people have heard the term, or the name at least. From Arthur. Yes, and I'll touch on that. <laughs> so adult size-wise, these fellas are 40 to 82 kilograms or 88 to 180 pounds. That's that's big. That's way Pretty bigger big. than I thought. Um, and lengthwise, that's 100 to 158 centimeters long or three to five feet. That's Way bigger. They're pretty big. Than I, th- I thought they were like cat size. They're the size of small pigs, basically. Pigs? Yeah. They look like pigs, they too. They do. <laughs> <laughs> and where they can be found are the grasslands and savanna habitats in sub-Saharan Africa. And I wanted to look up what that phrase meant, because that's something you see a lot, sub-Saharan Africa. Sure. Right? So what that refers to are the countries of Africa that are south of the Sahara Desert. Sub meaning below. Yes. Okay, got it. So that's what that means. And particularly, they like to be in places with lots of ants and termites. Mm. So that kind of gives a spoiler about some other things about them. The exact opposite of my feelings towards being in places with lots of ants and termites. (laughs) Exactly. Uh, They don't like to be in places where the ground is hard or compacted or places prone to flooding. Mm. I'll touch on why that is as well. So like I mentioned, they're the size of small pigs. They also have thick skin. Uh, They have short hair on their head, neck, and tail, and it's longer elsewhere on their bodies. However, as they age, that hair tends to wear off. Mm. I feel like I've seen pictures of them, and they look like they have very sparse hair. Yes, very sparse. Yeah. If you've ever seen the Sholo dog, Mm -hmm. the Mexican hairless dog, That's kind of what their skin reminds me of. Right. So they walk around on four legs. Their forefeet have four toes on them, while their hind feet have five. And they're identifying features. Yes, please. (laughs) They have this long snout, um, but it it doesn't taper like it does with anteaters. It kind of... Flares. Yeah, flares. (laughs) It's basically as if you took a pig nose and then just took the length slider and just... (laughs) Got it all the way out there. <laughs> it does look like you stretched out a pig's yeah. snout. Yeah, because it is a full snout with a mouth. Mm-hmm. It's not like an anteater that has a little opening at the end. Oh, okay. Let me ask you this. Is it just their nose? No, it's their full like jaw that goes out there. Really? Yeah. Okay. So it's not like an elephant. No, not like an elephant. Okay. Yep. Interesting. Mm-hmm. I guess I would have thought... That that would have been more like um, an elephant's trunk. Yeah, not quite. Interesting. And of course, they have these big pointy ears, Mm kind of like rabbits. They are bunny ears. It's very cute. (laughs) And they have a long tail. And those feet that I mentioned have claws at the end. Big claws too, right? They're pretty big. Chunky. And they have teeth. Do they really? (laughs) That shouldn't come as a surprise to me, but it kind of does. Right. Um, So yeah, that's basically what they look like. I'm going to touch on their taxonomy real quick. Let's talk taxonomy. I don't normally find much interest in this subject, but... We're typically... We usually kind (laughs) of gloss over taxonomy real quick. We don't normally dwell, but... It's it's complicated and sometimes, you know... Arbitrary. (laughs) (laughs) So we like to talk about evolutionary relatives. 
And at first I want to say they are not closely related to anteaters. They're not. They're not. I would have thought so. They're a great example of what we talked about before of convergent evolution. Love this. Yes. Love this concept. Yeah. So where they evolved similar traits for the same reasons to eat ants and termites. Mm -hmm. But yeah, not related at all. The anteaters we talk about usually are the South American giant anteater, right? Yeah. Um, whereas these are in Africa. Sure. But there are other animals in Africa that have that very similar yes. sort of shape. Like like pangolins look a lot like anteaters. Sort of. Yeah. So, and if I'm reading their cladogram right, which is uh, like a tree model of taxonomy relationships, mm -hmm. um, specifically of the aardvark and things closely related to it, the closest living relatives are elephant shrews that are also in the Afrotheria clade. Wait, hold on. Elephant shrews? Yes. Okay. This is a little guy? A little shrew? Yes. <laughs> All right. Um, and the Afrotheria clade is this grouping of animals. It's a wild one. Yeah. That comes from Africa, basically. Right. Um, elephants are part of that. So are manatees. Dugongs are, at least. And manatees. Okay. okay. Yeah. They're cousins. Okay. Yeah. This group is totally nuts because <laughs> <laughs> in this group, you've got elephants, manatees. Uh, what else is it? Hyraxes and... Uh, and aardvarks. <laughs> and the, there's some moles in there too. There's some. There's also. I think of that's that's the last time stuff. I talked about it. I think was the golden mole. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. The golden mole was yeah. in the Afrotheria group. So yeah, and what's interesting about these guys is they belong to the only mammalian order, the Tubulidentata. Tubula dentata. Right. Um, so it belongs to the only mammalian order that's represented by a single living species. Oh, just the one. Yes. They're the last. They're the holdout. Yep. Love that for them. And that's at the order level. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so that's why the closest living thing they're related to are shrews. <laughs> <laughs> that makes sense. If you're the only one in your group, you know, like you're going to have to reach pretty far to find your nearest cousin. Right. So I'll dig into our first category, which is effectiveness. Please do. I will also be giving an eight out of 10, which I think is what you gave yours. I did. Yeah. So lots of interesting things going for them. So first up, they have good night vision because they are nocturnal. Oh, really? Yes. Okay. That's surprising because they have kind of little eyes, right? Right. But they are colorblind. Oh, well. And this is because their eyes only have rods and no cones. What does that mean? So that means they're good at light, like picking up uh, light levels, but not colors. The cones are necessary for... Color processing. Yes. Got it. Yes. Where I think we talked about this with the mantis shrimp, right? Where they have more cones than we do, for example. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But as a follow-up to the mantis shrimp thing, because I did talk to um, Alice Chow right. about mantis shrimps recently, and she told me that they do have, you know, a lot of extra cones, mm -hmm. but their brain doesn't necessarily have all the parts right. they've got, to process those colors. They've got the hardware, but they don't have the, <laughs> the CPU processing power to do anything with it. They need to update their <laughs> graphics card. You new drivers. <laughs> So, yeah, they, they have good uh, night vision, basically. Okay. Uh, they have a great sense of hearing. We talked about their ears being big. They, they can also move independently. We've seen other animals that can do this, right? So oh, like can, the ears can move independently. Yes, to change direction and to hear in different directions. Love that. My what big ears you have. Right. <laughs> and perhaps not surprisingly, they have a great sense of smell. So the anatomy of their nose and also the development of that section of the brain is what gives them a great sense of smell. Mm, they have dumped a lot of points into their perception mm -hmm. abilities. 
It comes in handy. I bet. <laughs> also, they are very good at digging. So we talked about the claws at the end of their toes. They are spade-shaped claws on both their front and hind legs. Spade-shaped? Like a shovel you would use to dig into dirt. That's like a triangular Okay. Kind of, yeah. Um, so yeah, they use those to dig holes and intricate burrows in the ground. So earlier I mentioned they don't like being in places where the ground is hard and rocky or prone to flooding. There it is. <laughs> this is why. That's exactly why we don't have basements in Florida. Yeah. <laughs> Gosh, I want a basement just because it's something I'm denied. <laughs> you always want what you can't have. <laughs> we can't have basements here because it floods so much. So I, I relate to the aardvark uh, not wanting to be in flood prone yes. areas. Um, so I did a lot of researching on how to pronounce words in this which I'm oh, glad thank I did. you so much <laughs> i appreciate lot. you so dearly so they are what's known as myrmecophagus okay uh, which means they mostly eat ants and termites love it so they have a long sticky tongue just Yay. like anteaters yeah but the surrounding anatomy is what's different right interesting and they have teeth but they usually eat the ants and termites whole without chewing which is strange right why still have the teeth exactly <laughs> <laughs> i guess if it's not hurting them you know like it doesn't hurt to keep the teeth around i guess if it's not doing them any damage right. other than maybe it's just like it's like a waste of resources so this kind of is a good segue into my next point here, which is about their teeth. Okay. Because they have interesting teeth. Oh, boy. So first, I kind of want to describe human teeth so that you and our listeners have something to relate to. Mm -hmm. So our teeth have four main components. The enamel, the cementum, the dentin or the dentine, and the pulp. Pulp. Yes. <laughs> Don't love that word. So the enamel is the outer layer of the tooth that is exposed in our mouths. Mm -hmm. um, so that is actually the hardest substance in the in the entire human body. Oh, wow. Um, so that's meant to protect the rest of the tooth while mm -hmm. you're chewing and stuff like that. That's true. That is a surface that you would need to put some extra coating on. <laughs> yeah. The cementum is the liner of the part of the tooth that's in the root. Okay. So that's the part that's between the tooth and your jaw, basically. Okay. And then the dentin is the inner structure um, that kind of gives the structural support. It's made of uh, tubules. And then the innermost part is the pulp. So this is where nerves and vessels are. I do not want to think about this part of the tooth. <laughs> Thank you. Yes. Yeah, so when you when you hear things about root canals, nope. that's where that's happening. You will not hear that on this podcast. <laughs> We're moving on immediately. Sure. Now, here's where the aardvark's teeth uh, differs from ours. So their teeth has no enamel. Oh. None. Why bother? You do not need it. You're not chewing it. Well, that's because, so one, their teeth are rootless, but also they're continuously growing. Like a rodent. Yes. Why? <laughs> <laughs> so I guess there's no need to protect it if it's just continuously growing anyway. Just get rid of it. Right. Right? Yeah. Because with ours, right, all that stuff does not come back. Right. We got to take real good care of our chompers. Yeah. We only get, well, the two sets, essentially. Right. And then you'll hear a lot of people, you know, trying to avoid losing the enamel on their teeth. Because mm -hmm. um, when you do, that's when you start experiencing things like temperature sensitivity. Ugh, the worst. Yeah. But they've got like disposable teeth. It's not that the tooth is disposable. It's that it's going to keep growing. Yeah. So there may be these tubules that are made of the dentin or uh -huh. dentine. And their teeth are covered in a layer of cementum, though. So, yeah, that's their teeth. That's interesting. I'm still perplexed as to why bother. I don't know. 
Hey, it's me, Ellen, from after we recorded this. I got curious and did a little digging of my own, and I found something really interesting about the Aardvark's diet that explains their funky teeth. So, like Christian said, they mostly eat ants and termites, but they do also eat one other thing, and that is a very unique fruit. It's a type of melon called an Aardvark cucumber, species name Cucumis humifructus. The plant grows a fruit underground, which the aardvark is able to dig up and eat, which is a great source of water for the aardvark. The aardvark then propagates the seeds by pooping them out and burying them. Now, since this fruit is so difficult to access, it actually relies on the aardvark eating it to continue as a species, giving them a very interesting symbiotic relationship. And that's why the aardvark kept its teeth for eating their special dirt fruit. Okay. Back to the episode. And then my final point for effectiveness is their longevity. Really? Yes. 18 years in the wild. That's pretty good. 23 years in captivity. That's a good, long, light, long, happy life. Yeah. And moving on to ingenuity, I'm giving a 7 out of 10 for ingenuity. It's not bad. And this is primarily because of a ritual they perform when they leave their den. A ritual. Yes. You're going to love this. <laughs> <laughs> oh boy so here's what they do okay so they're getting ready to leave right love it grab your keys grab your purse so they step just outside of the opening uh-huh. they look around for threats always step one before they run out they will jump around <laughs> they just hop 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 <laughs> okay all right i'm loving it already gotta get your little uh your little dance out right they'll run out and jump again uh-huh. <laughs> just in case that right. first one didn't stick <laughs> right and they'll, they'll kind of look around um look around for um you know any more threats uh-huh. and then they'll just kind of continue on just gotta get get the little hoppies out first <laughs> so they're doing these hoppies to kind of like flesh out anything i guess oh okay uh, that, that was my just to psych them out <laughs> keep them guessing <laughs> so yeah evidently they, they do this little ritual before going out to forage that's really funny. Right. <laughs> I love that. You're right. I do love that. That's extremely delightful. And I might have gotten the order a little bit wrong there, but that's the gist of it. Okay. Got <laughs> it. A series of jumps and running and looking. <laughs> and then just going on its way. The actual scientific name that they use for this is tippy taps. Oh, yes. Of course. The tippy taps. <laughs> um, next thing I wanted to cite for their ingenuity is, you know, when they do go out for ants and termites, you know, they, they have these claws that help them dig into these mounds because uh, it's uh, if you haven't seen termite mounds, they can be very big. Oh, they're huge. Yeah. And, they tower. And pretty tough because uh, they're made from dirt that, you know, they've kind of, the termites have kind of placed. Compacted. Right. Yeah. So, of course, they have to dig into these things and use their long sticky tongue to slurp up these termites and ants and such. So I thought what was interesting was they make sure to not destroy the ant or termite mound to the point of not being able to recover. Mm, okay. And that's so the colony can make a comeback and they'll be able to come back again for dance. Right. Yeah. You don't want to like completely destroy your food source. You want them to be able to make more. Yes. Like you wouldn't chop down an apple tree every time you want to eat some apples. (laughs) Right. 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 You know, that's funny because that reminds me of an animal that we talked about a long time ago. Oh, were you going to say this? Well, I was going to say it, when when I did this piece, it was a major sense of deja vu, but I could never mm. remember what it was we were talking about. You should have just asked me. <laughs> I, know. I know. It was the aardwolf. Um, okay. An animal that I talked about a long time ago, mm-hmm. um, which is not related to the aardvark. The aardwolf is a very tiny type of hyena, but they also are insectivores. They're the only member 
of the hyena family that is an insectivore. So mm-hmm. just like the aardvark, they do make sure that they're not completely destroying their food source. So they're like conscientious. Right. Yeah, it's very clever. And then my final point for ingenuity comes from their defense mechanism is two options. <laughs> oh boy. A lot of animals come up with this, right? It's either a run or fight, fight or flight type response. I'm imagining you've encountered a wild Pokemon and the little menu comes up that <laughs> right. says like fight, bag, right. run. So their fight option is basically to stand up on their hind legs and use their claws. Get them. Yes. But their, Square up. But their flight option uh-huh. is dig a hole. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> that's going to take a while, my friends. Not as long as you think. They can bury itself in 10 minutes. That 10 minutes? That's way too long. That's, if you're in an intense situation. Sure, but that's way faster than I could bury myself. <laughs> <laughs> you're right about that. It sure is. <laughs> you just dig a six foot some odd hole real quick. <laughs> Christian's very tall also. Um, this is another part of his introduction. He's would, very tall. I would give up before halfway through. <laughs> <laughs> I guess good on them for that. You know, that's really funny though, that they're like looking around like, uh, I can't go this way. I can't go that way. Better go straight down. <laughs> I, I guess that, I guess that implies that they're sometimes able to detect a threat at such a distance. <laughs> that they got 10 minutes to spare. <laughs> that's so funny. Yeah. So yeah, and then that brings me to the final category of aesthetics. You might be surprised by this, given how I've commented on other animals that look like this. Don't do this to me. I'm giving a nine out of ten. Oh, thank goodness! Oh, we're about to <laughs> we're about to have a problem. I think they're pretty cute. They are. They're extremely cute. I say they pull off the look better than things like hairless cats and naked bull rats. Now, why do you have to do this? <laughs> why do you have to start this now? <laughs> Christian and I have a long-standing beef over whether hairless cats are cute or not. Mm-hmm. Anytime <laughs> it comes are. up on Twitter, TikTok, doesn't matter. Just, there's a grimace <laughs> on my face as I'm watching it. Just, mm, I think they're so cute. Look at those feet. <laughs> <laughs> but aardvarks are very cute. Yes. Aardvarks have the pig factor That's going true. on. It's really cute. Mm-hmm. And those without with very sparse hair, you know, you, you can see the wrinkles and such. Mm-hmm. I, I think they're cute. They're chunky too, aren't they? These are like substantial. They're chunky, but not fat. I know what you mean. They don't have subcutaneous fat. This is a solid boy. You cannot knock this thing over. <laughs> Low try. center of gravity. Yeah. So yeah, uh, that wraps that up. And just some miscellaneous info. I would uh, love that. We see this a lot with burrowing animals, animals that create the burrows, um, but they also provide habitats to lots of other animals that use their burrows. Bringing the community together. Yeah. A previous example of this, I think, was the gopher tortoise. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Gopher tortoises do that. Mm -hmm. Um, They'll create a burrow that then a lot of other animals can use as their own burrow. Right. So, yeah, that's the aardvark. We would be remiss if we did not talk about Arthur. Yep. Um, Arthur looks nothing. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> like an aardvark I, it feels like them calling him an aardvark was an afterthought like i feel like they drafted the design for him with just like generic animal in I mind have no idea it's not even a little bit close it's not it's, even <laughs> it's worse than sonic being a hedgehog it is he's un. if you if you showed me a picture of arthur and said this is an animal try to guess which one it is i would burn through at least 100 guesses before i got to aardvark it wouldn't even be on the list it's really weird and what's weird is that he's got his friend right buster he's got his friend his friend is a rabbit 
right. who's got the, yeah, the yeah, ears. Yeah, yeah. So that shows that they had the capacity <laughs> to add the ears, right? It wasn't outside of their wheelhouse. I feel like I've seen early, early artwork and concept of Arthur before. Mm-hmm. It looked more like an anteater to me. Just pick a different animal, <laughs> right? Like, if you're going to make him that far from your target, just pick something else. Like, just say he's a mouse or something, you know? Like, I don't know. I got nothing. <laughs> Bad aardvark representation. <laughs> Me thinking about this is the Arthur meme with the clenched fist. <laughs> <laughs> He doesn't even have a long prehensile snout. <laughs> it's not prehensile, Ellen. Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> well, then I guess him not having a prehensile snout actually is uh, <laughs> realistic okay. for the hard bark. <laughs> Thanks, Christian. That's a great animal. Anytime. I'm, I think you've done the aardvark the honor uh, that it has demanded. Uh, front of the dictionary, top of our hearts. <laughs> <laughs> that's true it will always come up first if you sort animals by alphabetical order yes wait does v become before w t u v w yeah it is before the ard wolf just barely snuck in <laughs> photo finish <laughs> great job christian thank you anytime well that's all we had for today Thank you so much to you the listener for joining us today if you're a new listener Welcome. I hope we've made a good first impression. If you're a longtime listener, thank you also for sticking with us. This is an exciting ride. You can connect with us. We're on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, Discord, and TikTok. Just search the title of the show on your favorite social media platform and you will find us. If you have an animal species you'd like to hear us talk about, you can submit those to us at ellen at justthezooofus.com. I would like to thank Maximum Fun for having us on their network, along with some other absolutely incredible shows that you've heard some promos for during this episode. Check them out at MaximumFun.org and go listen to all their other awesome shows. Thank you to Louis Zong for our absolutely beautiful theme music that we are head over heels in love with. Mm-hmm. You're about to hear it again. <laughs> so if you if you liked it the first time, brace yourself because here it comes. It's coming back. Right now. Right now. <laughs> Thanks, y'all. Bye. Bye. MaximumFun.org. Comedy and culture. Artist owned. Audience supported.